Oh my god, please answer. <laughs> hey, Dada. Hey, hi. It's it's Jesse and Lauren. <laughs> we have a question for you. Okay. Um, and mostly probably Dad. Is he there? Um, he's downstairs. Hold on. Okay. This is the best. Just like why? Trying thing? to unpack. Okay, sorry. I didn't know if you'd be back. Um, so much mail. You must have so much mail. Do you or Dad remember the the group called the Elgins or the Elgins? We're not sure how to pronounce it. Did you Google it? We did, but we can't find anyone saying it out loud. E-L-G-I-N-S? Yes. So there's a town in Scotland called Elgin, oh. but we didn't know. And I thought, well, maybe but Dad knows. Group? Yeah, they sang Heaven Must Have Sent You. Well, Elgin sounds right, but right? Stephen, have you heard of a group called the Elgins? E-L-G-I-N-S, a doo-wop group? I mean, do, they're really Motown, but Dad knows doo-wop Motown. stuff. Yeah, he doesn't oh. know. Are they had a, a one-hit wonder? Yeah, pretty much. Oh. Yeah. That's probably why. Um, All right, well... Thank you, time travelers. What? I wouldn't think it would be with a hard G. I don't think so. Well, G-I-N is gins. So. Yeah, L-Gins. I think it's L-Gins. Me too. That sounds like a band. Okay. Thank you. Good luck unpacking. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Love you guys. Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Jim, diplomatic Jim, just salt of the earth Jim. Frank is charming. Of course he did, because she looks amazing in that purple. She's so regal. So Leslie Jordan. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season one, episode 10, Kyle. Hello, Murphy Brown fans. Hello, Murphy Brown and fans of information that is for you. Did you just say hi to Murphy Brown? Fans. Oh, I missed that. And I'm wearing headphones. And hello, Murphy Brown, as well, if you are listening. (laughs) My queen. I was going to be like, you know, you and Dan Quayle need to learn that she's fictional. I don't understand what you're talking about. What is is fiction? That's true. What is fiction? Am I trash? (laughs) Just going to bring that back. Call back. Bring that back every time. (laughs) Sorry to anyone who was probably offended by that phrase. Anywho. Yes. Uh, so we are talking about episode 10, Kyle, written by Russ Woody. And directed by Barnett Kelman. It aired on January 16th, 1989. Indeed. Oh, we wanted to talk to you guys about oh. the fact that we do actually know how words work. Yes, we do. And we both, when we said the airing sheet, we both knew we were wrong. Yes. And we have since corrected ourselves. <laughs> yes. So I, anyone who maybe is not keeping up on the show... Um, on each episode. Uh, we are super smart. Yes. Because there's a lot. I talked about that uh, I had wanted to know the titles of the Murphy Brown episodes, and this is before they were readily available. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a letter to CBS. And CBS didn't know what to do, so they sent me a sheet of all the episodes, including when the show was preempted. Mm-hmm. And it is called a release schedule. A phrase that we were both very familiar with, but could not pull it out of our heads. But words are hard when you're on the spot. When you're doing a Murphy Brown podcast every week. I also just want to go back and just acknowledge the fact that I love that CBS, a massive conglomerate, was not prepared for the force that was child Lauren Milberger. (laughs) That it was not set up for this kind of inquiry. (laughs) And thus, you just got the release schedule. It's not a question that someone asks. It's wonderful. Anywho, I just wanted to um, make a a quiet little applause for Tiny Lauren. Thank you. Tiny Lauren appreciates it. I know. Tiny Lauren delayed a lot of love. I knew she could hear me. The song is Heaven Must Have Sent You by the Elgins. 
Written by Jesse Holland Dozier Holland. It was uh, the most successful recording for the group, mm -hmm. hence why none of us have really actually heard of them, unfortunately, yeah. past this song. And it was a suggestion from Motown that they add a female vocalist. That's something that was actually really, that stood out to me about them mm -hmm. when we looked at them, was the fact that instead of being an all-girl group or an all-male group, it was male singers with a female singer. Yeah, and it's funny, there are more of them, mm -hmm. but they're always the ones that, for some reason, weren't as successful as, say, the Temptations of the Supremes. Exactly. And when I was younger and started researching more um, on Motown mm -hmm. and this kind of music, I owned the best of the Dixie Cups. I'm just saying. Yes, you did. Thank you, Murphy Brown. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, oh... Who are these people? I forget the other band, but they're they're there are more they're more that, they're more one hit wonders oddly well, enough. Well, it it is, and I wonder if it's there's something that's very marketable about the all male versus all female group. Sure. And we saw that again in the '90s when the boy bands and oh, the yeah. and the girl groups started coming back after being you know we did have new kids in earlier than that, but when we had the the NSYNC, the 98 Degrees, the Backstreet Boys, and then we started getting a bunch of girl groups, and we got the Spice Girls, and we had all these things. There were other bands that were mixed, and so you saw, like, My Beloved No Doubt. You saw um, even, unfortunately, Black Eyed Peas that came in, but we had groups that were mixed, but the people who were making those big bucks were the easily marketable, this goes to this demographic kind of thing, and I wonder if that had something to do with it. Well, Blondie... I mean, mm -hmm. that's a big, you know, change, obviously. I do wonder if this this phenomenon in Motown where we know a lot of all one gender band and that yeah. they were more successful had something to do with that easy marketability. Yeah, I don't know as much about it because it, it's an interesting topic I hadn't thought of until in the moment, but now I want to know more about it. I don't know much about it because I just made it up. Yes. But now I will continue to look into this. So will we. We'll get back to you guys. <laughs> we'll get back to you. We have other stuff. On our new conjecture. Yeah. The Elgins, so they're a Motown group active from 62 to 67. But before that, it was actually an early name used by the Temptations in their pre-David Ruffin era. So they actually had been named that and then became the Temptations. And then this band came in and took the name. And Gordy apparently was very adamant that they take the name. That's so in What was it about I don't that know. name? I need to know. Maybe he just felt like he needed to like recycle the name that didn't get the traction. Exactly. Like you have one. No one's going to know any better. <laughs> Very interesting. Anywho, so here we are. We are starting our episode um, in a slightly different way. So as opposed to the song coming in with a um, stock montage or mm -hmm. something that then leads into the action, the montage with the song playing after the title card is actually into directly into the action. Yeah, and I... I wonder, I feel like this was probably written in, mm -hmm. but it makes me think all of a sudden now, with the way you're talking about it, I wonder if there are certain episodes where it's written in or they ran out of time mm -hmm. and decided to, I mean, this feels very visual and very, you know, uh, uh, body language, you know, you useful. You get so much information about what happens this episode yeah. in this opening with mm -hmm. no lines. And they do that a lot. Like this, mm -hmm. this is something that will, you know, become repetitive. But for some reason, I just thought, oh, I wonder if sometimes... It was just something that they put over or how much it's actually written in. Well, and we come in and we see this unusual figure that we have not seen before. A a man of diminutive stature. He's 4'11", by the way. He is 4'11". And uh, he's such a cute little button, by the way. Uh, you will find out that this is Kyle Whitsett. And he is um, 
not having his best day. He's, I, I think I would say nervous and timid might be good words for yes. him. Uh, and he's smaller than everyone. And he is being brought in. They're setting him up in a chair, putting the, the mic on, you know, Murphy's favorite thing. And uh, he looks very nervous. He uh, spills coffee on himself and then the entire place. And again, everyone note this is there are no lines happening during mm-hmm. this is just the song so you have to pay attention so everyone's rushing around to try and fix it they start cleaning him uh murphy cleans the seat herself and um and miles rips off his shirt and tie by the by the cameras and hands it to him which one of my favorite visuals of this opening is miles in his undershirt yes looking so casual and i realize we have not seen miles looking so casual <laughs> quite yet well, what i love about this and is sort of the teamwork. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite things was is to watch on stage uh, professionals during the scene changes. Oh, I love a scene change. Love a good scene change. Mm. Whether it's the actors doing it, the actual like, you know, crew people doing it. There's just something about professionals just getting stuff done. You see the how capable they are. Yeah. They're they're super capable. They know what they're doing and they're like, "Okay, oh, you know, we're on live television. We have to fix." It's just what happened with the with the shooting scenario where it's like they are on live television this stuff you know stuff happens you have to be ready to go and fix things the last thing they need is a guy covered in coffee so okay somebody somebody has a, t- a shirt can't be that guy because he's on camera can't be that guy this guy behind the camera he's gonna take a shirt off like you just and miles is the producer so he's going to make sure yeah. his show goes well and this is a big interview and then you see you know uh jim and corky and frank are like nervous and they can't really move and and then you know maybe their last looks which is a word when you sort of like check yep. for people who don't know um check the makeup right before you go out you know so like jim checks his hair mm-hmm. because they have to focus on this guy and then also like the tension of it and you know we talked about this in a past episode that this is another great example of mm-hmm. making the show live brings the conflict yeah it raises that stake immediately so we um speaking of Corky, can we talk about her purple blazer? Um, I literally wrote, Corky looks great in purple. Of course you did, because she looks amazing in that purple. She's so regal. Also, though, Murphy is sort of wearing kind of the white blue version of her red jacket. Yes. I think she got like the same jackets in multiple colors. Yeah, or they, it's not exactly the same, but it's, it looks very same. It's very, I, she she has a style and it works. It's her it's her brand. Mm-hmm. It's very much her brand. It's the um it's white and blue, right? Yes. In this opening? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's blue and it's that royal blue. She wears a lot of blue in this episode. She, does. she wears very saturated colors in this. A lot of them do. Actually, yes, we Frank pointed wears that. a I really saturated color. shirt later, yeah. too. But we have pointed out watching this, at least I have, that they wear a lot of blue. Corky and her wear a lot of no, blue they wear this a season. a lot of blue. We'll have to talk to somebody I like about that. that. I I mean, lo- they wear I love blue when they dress the same. Just as a brunette, mm-hmm. I wear a lot of uh, jewel tones. Oh, me too. And there's a lot of colors that blondes can wear that I just don't look good in. See, for but me, she's wearing a lot of stuff that I could wear. For me, the jewel tones aren't about my hair color. It's about my skin tone. That too. So, like, I can wear things that blondes wear, but it's because of my skin tone that matters. Maybe. Like, there are certain pastel colors I can't wear. It has nothing to do with what color my hair is doing. It's what it does to my face. If I wear yellows, I look dead. So, we find out that... Um, Mr. Kyle Whitsett is on camera because he was released from jail, a 1973 jail robbery in which he was, um, they have proven that he was wrongly convicted. Uh, This whole thing reminds me of Serial. Oh, very much. Like the journalist who got really into it and then starts potentially overturn a verdict. Mm Mm-hmm. Which we find out was Murphy's thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that was the first thing I I was like, oh, this is sort of like Murphy's version of Mm -hmm. Sarah Koenig. Mm-hmm. So this uh, the story took Murphy five months, right? 
Five months, yes. Five months. And so this is this is a crowning glory kind of thing. This is this guy. And you you meet him, and he's super sweet. He's very awkward. He's very nervous. It's a... I To say a terrible interview is probably generous. It doesn't go it's, very yeah, well. Yeah, it's a great example of how good an interviewer Murphy is. Because, yes, because she gets anything out of this. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's trying to find a diamond in the piece of coal. Well, her first thing is, how does it feel to be free? And he says, for a while there, I thought I was going to throw up. And she goes, we'll just stick with overwhelmed. <laughs> okay, we're just going to repackage this for I you. I wrote, he is a horrible interview. <laughs> he, he is, but it's, and I think the reason why it does well is because he's very endearing. He's, how long was he in jail at this point? This is 89 and he went to jail for a 73. Yeah. Well, this, this guy was, he's a young man at this point. So he's been in there for some pretty formative young man yeah. years. And so he's not hes not really a, an on-camera persona. No. But you can see he's very endearing. He didn't really learn his social skills. He didn't. He was too young. He was way too young. And, and you can see, regardless of what he went through, like his personality was probably not the most astute, we're going to say. He doesn't read a room well. Probably a born klutz. Yeah, and I don't think prison helped that much. I will say he has one crowning moment in this interview in which he shares that a lot of guys in my cell block think you're real pretty. Now, most of them think Mr. Fontana is prettier. And here's the thing about that line, because it's an old joke. It's an old joke. But the way that, um, and we'll talk about him in a moment, Mm -hmm. Mr. Leslie Jordan delivers it in his unique way. Prettier. And kind of goes (laughs) up a little bit with sort of, almost phrase his voice a tiny bit which is a natural thing for him he's not pushing it It just makes it so fabulous it's so endearing well and frank's expression he doesn't know what to do also because when they say that and they make it about his appearance i can't stop looking at frank's toupee now and his like (laughs) softly feathered lovely hair that makes him look so much different i'm like oh frank is charming he's very charming i personally i think um he's attractive with or without but um i love with or without rug not with the or rug. without the charm no he's only attractive because of the charm gotcha people are you can be the you can be an adonis and if you have no charm i'm not gonna think you're cute i agree that's all i'm saying so murphy just kind of takes that moment and just goes back to you jim <laughs> and we close out the air and so everyone comes forward and they're all being very generous and they're wishing him luck and one of my favorite moments is when miles pats him on the shoulder as he walks by and <laughs> sweet Kyle's just like ow from as if Miles is this like brute, like nobody else hits him in a way that that Leslie Jordan winces at, but for some reason Tiny Miles makes him. I don't know, maybe he hits him harder because he's still wearing his clothes. And Corky says this really sweet, endearing oh. thing: of, "I just know you'll be the one, who, the one in twenty who makes it." So honest, Corky. So on. No filter. No filter. Zero filter. And he starts saying his goodbyes, and this is the beginning of us figuring out that Kyle doesn't have much. And he has this long extended goodbye. And I wrote bye every time in this recap that I did because he it's his wonderful Chattanooga so accent. And but he's just saying he says goodbye, bye, keeps saying bye. So good says goodbye to the like he says goodbye guys to the entire crew and everything like that. And he's just taking forever to leave. It's such a great scene also because it, it really sets it up well that, you know, they're giving these sort of platitudes, mm-hmm. right? And then yeah. they're going away. Yeah, they're gone. They're like, you're so amazing. We're all rooting for you. Bye. Bye. Push out the yep. door. So speaking of his delivery, because really his... I And I want to know how much of the script was a bunch of goodbyes and byes and how much he added in as he... I mean, I'm positive he added in a bunch of variants. 
but I want to see how it was written. Well, here's the thing. This show is really rarely improv, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. Yeah. It's really set on script. Yeah. But it's written throughout the week. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine... They, that they added t- things for him. Yeah, based yeah. on what he was doing. Yeah. Because he's so unique. And just his choices of when he pauses and waits, like we'll talk later about him at the elevator every time. It's, mm-hmm. He's a genius. So Leslie Jordan. Yes, let's talk about Leslie let's Jordan. Let's talk about Leslie Jordan. We're just going to have to do it now. Yep. So the first thing I, I think of with Leslie Jordan is that I feel like he's the, the performer that while you know him, you're not really sure where you knew him first. Mm-hmm. Now, most people will recognize him as Beverly Leslie from Will and Grace who is uh, Karen's nemesis. Which he won an Emmy for. He did, and he was amazing. Uh, I also love the fact that they spelled Leslie the way he spells his first name in the character name. Well, I think I know why that might have happened. Hmm, you want to go ahead? Watching a bunch of interviews with Leslie to prep for this, Mm -hmm. he said that his role on Will and Grace was originally played by Joan Collins. Which would make sense. Yes. (laughs) But after the first rehearsal or so, she just didn't feel that it was something she wanted to do. And they brought him in. So I wonder if they had to change the name. I just love the idea that, okay, Joan Collins isn't working out. Who should we bring in? And it's Leslie Jordan. <laughs> like, that's such a credit to his unique career yeah. <laughs> that he can just fill in for Joan Collins. And then because of him, it became a recurring role. It was oh, not a recurring role when he just was booked. Just wicked. I yeah. love him. One of the things I find really interesting about Leslie Jordan's career is that, ever, you know, we've all seen him in stuff for years and years and decades and decades. But this role in Murphy Brown was super early in his career. I was shocked. He So his first IMDb credit, which granted, if you know actors, you know a lot of people are working that are not on IMDb for many years before they get that first credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he started on in these particular credits in 1986, and Murphy Brown was 1989, and he only had a handful of roles prior. He had 10 episodes on The People Next Door in 1989, um, but I'm not sure where that fell around Kyle, because it was yeah. the same year. So he was still relatively new. And one of the things I I really appreciate, I found this great um, article, which I will link in the show notes from um, Philadelphia Magazine. They did an interview with him in 2014, uh, when he was about to do Southern Baptist Sissies, which <laughs> just makes me so happy for him. So he shares in this interview that he had um, been living in Los Angeles for 30 years, and I said, wow, in all that time, you never lost your Southern accent. And he said, I sure haven't. I tried early in my career, but then I gave up. And that's when I started working. Yeah. And so what's so amazing about him is that he has so much confidence here. And he's so himself in the yes. sense of the uh, he is exactly the type of character that we have always seen him play. Yes. And so... A lot of times when you were that specific as an actor, Mm -hmm. it can be a hindrance and it can be a plus. Yes. There were probably more roles at the beginning of his career that he did not get. Mm -hmm. But because he's so specific, when he did get a role, no one else would be able to play it but him. No. And once that started to happen, that was when he started to book more roles. Well, when he was true to himself and what he does well and not worrying about his accent and trusting that that could end up being a plus... It, it created a character. That's the thing is like, if you're a Leslie Jordan, you you stay you stay the course, you stay true to yourself to the point that then when people need a Leslie Jordan, you are the person they're looking the for. the only person who can do that. And then you become a Leslie Jordan who also plays Joan Collins's roles. Like that is who, and it's, it's that sense of self and that 
that integrity in who he is, it makes me so happy. But it must be so hard at the beginning oh because people m- might go, you're great. They'll tell you I, you're uncastable. Yeah. I don't know where to put you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they told Diane Weiss that she squinted too much. Which is a lie. She needed to stop. She squints the perfect they amount. They told Allison Janney she was too tall. Lies. They're the people who remind us that we want individuals and that's who we connect with, not just cookie cutters that don't have any specifics we can latch onto. No one is Leslie Jordan. No. No one can be him. I mean, I'm going to try, but I can't be Leslie Jordan. I also just want to share a a quick quote from this that makes me so happy. They say, being from the South, you must have been able to relate to the characters in Southern Baptist Sissies. Did you have a hard time growing up in church in the South? Um, Just in case you guys are wondering, Leslie is an out and gay man. He said, I did, but it was more internal. I really wanted to be a really good Christian, like some of the boys in the movie. I was baptized 14 times. Every time the preacher would say, come forward, sinners, I'd say, ooh, I was out in the woods with that boy. I better go forward. My mother thought I was being really dramatic. She'd say, Leslie, you're already saved. And I'd say, well, I just, I don't think it took. (laughs) He told some really great stories about the fact that he wanted to play with dolls and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, sew and things like that. And so his mother created sort of a little area like a, for him to do it away from his father, who was sort of a, you know, career army guy. Oh, yeah. But then he talked about how in the, you know, he's like, this was like the 50s. His, his father bought him for Christmas a bride doll and put under the tree and that you know that must have been such a big thing for his father to do i mean because especially in that time period with an an army man father like that you could not have felt safe to be who you are and that kind of story is very uncommon especially for that time period to have any semblance of acceptance for that kind of what was considered at the time deviance yeah it was really beautiful. beautiful He also talked in an interview he didn't like sort of the hillbilly rock and roll that he mm-hmm. was a big Motown fan. And hey, I thought, ah, what a good show for you. I know. Mm-hmm. Also interesting, he has been sober for 20 years. It's very impressive. And yeah. once shared a jail cell with Robert Downey Jr. Who also learned some lessons about being sober. Yes, he did. <laughs> Leslie has written several books, including My Trip Down the Pink Carpet, which was turned into a one-man show produced by Lily Tomlin. And her wife and frequent collaborator, Jane Wagner, who mm-hmm. wrote Search for Science of Intelligent Life, one oh, of my favorite so stage performances I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. But we'll talk more about that when we get to Lily Tomlin. Yes, because do we have some um, fangirling to do there? Yes, we do. One of the things I just think is really special about him, he's a very compassionate, empath- empathic person In when he talks about his his young life and we talks about collaborators i love watching interviews you can find any interviews on youtube yeah. with him. he's, he's funny just, and insightful he's, and he's very insightful and very kind when he could it'd be very easy for someone who's been so different his entire life to be bitter uh he talks really lovingly about his mother peggy ann and being very compassionate about the fact that she supported him but ne- and he says never really understood him and one of the things that when we talked about his father, his father died when he was like 11. Oh, I didn't know that. And so the how special that story is for him to know that he had even, what might have even been a modicum of acceptance before he would never know mm-hmm. as someone who, who lost a parent when I was still basically a child. Um, those kinds of things are super important. And I, I think it's just, re- he has a very lovely story and it's really worth looking into his writing because he's really insightful and kind. He's very special. We move to the FYI offices. Yes. Uh, Murphy's talking to her secretary on the phone, wearing a fabulous turquoise sweater. I feel like I've owned that sweater. 
Actually, funny that you say that because I'm pretty sure this is Candace Bergen's sweater. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a good color for her. And if yeah. I was her, I would have stolen it from the costume department. She looks amazing in turquoise. She She's in it all the time. Yeah. I didn't quite realize, maybe, and maybe that's why I love it so much, but she's also in that belt all the time. Yes, which we also are pretty sure is her belt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen her wear that sweater, which is longer, mm-hmm. with just a belt in the in a behind-the-scenes. Oh, I so love I'm that. So I'm pretty sure it's actually hers. That makes sense. And, you know, hey, why not? Or maybe she stole it from the costume department. I do not Either know. Either way, Candace Bergen has great style. Yes. And she goes, she, she wants to be clear that the secretary is telling her. What she's telling her is that she, she can't come to work today because of a Jewish holiday that she can't think of. Which, hmm. <laughs> And then the best part is she goes, I'm sorry, Ms. McCall. <laughs> Such a non-Jewish name. Rosh Kipper doesn't quite make it. <laughs> also, by the way, is that Mickey Mouse Mao behind her? I think so. I do think so. I'm, I kept looking at it. I think that's Mickey Mouse Mao. So Miles enters. It's a red letter day. They got a 35 share on the overnights. <laughs> this stuff always cracks me up because it's like, it's not a thing it's anymore. Like, hey, we're a TV station. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the night. Well, not the 90s yet. Murphy is going through her Rolodex, trying to find a secretary. Miles is drinking a soda. This is what I wrote. Why is Miles drinking a soda? Why? It feels so random. It gets answered in just a moment. That's the thing is everyone because comes in. and They're here to annoy her. They are. <laughs> with the food and the drink. It's For me, I think it's because he's setting up, obviously he's setting up what happens when they all come in with their stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's this this sudden water cooler that becomes her office that is so the it's so disrespectful to her and her like sanctum that is her office yeah that, like they wouldn't come in drinking something in her office like they wouldn't do that kind of thing because you just don't mess I with murphy's they're... office but i feel like it's a certain like casual like oh man we're all such good people right now moment that they do that they like don't quite realize it, that they're doing it in the wrong place they're all self-absorbed about yes. they're on this high like look what we did they're all so magnificent which is, you know, a lot about what this episode is about, as well as just being mm-hmm. sort of this funny character piece for, for Kyle, is, you know, they're feeling all high and mighty mm-hmm. about how they saved this man's life, but are not thinking about the consequences mm-hmm. of afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, I also, it made me think about when somebody said, you know, if, a, if an altruist doesn't tell you about the good deed they did, did it really do any good? <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't heard that, and yet I feel like I have. Yep. <laughs> Because it's our life. Uh, so did you post about your Indiegogo donation yet? No, I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a. I know someone who has a tendency to want to talk about how woke she is. Oh, no. And I was like, I don't, I, I don't think... It's like in... You don't get a sign name mm-hmm. if you're not of the deaf community. It is given to you. Mm-hmm. Least, that's what I learned when I went to the school oh, with the deaf children in, in grade school. So mm-hmm. maybe the culture may have changed since I was 10. But at the time this was what I was taught in the school with the deaf children in Anchorage, Alaska. But it's that thing of don't start calling you woke yourself woke. If you are the privileged white girl, let someone else acknowledge your efforts. I agree. If you tell me how woke you are, I don't think you're quite woke. (laughs) I agree. 120%. (sighs) Anywho. Yes. So everyone is trying to take credit for, you know, Murphy's story and, and saving Kyle from, jail and wrong yes. conviction. I like Miles telling Frank that he lies like a rug. Yeah. No, I love their relationship. <laughs> They're boys, it, man. Yeah, I love but it. like it, it came really quick, which I didn't yeah. realize until, you know, watching this in order. They really sort of, you know, bonded with each other. Also, I know that this was her glasses in the last episode, but I, I do really love Murphy's glasses. I love Murphy's glasses. I don't agree with Corky. Also, I should note, 
I wrote a note here, even though it's from another section, mm-hmm. and it's in my notes now, so I'm going to talk about it. Okay. The actor that I thought was Marv mm-hmm. is incorrect, mm-hmm. is actually an actor named Scott Lawrence. Oh. The one in the elevator yes. from I Would Have yes. Danced All Night, mm-hmm. uh, known as Office Worker Scott. He oh. just was not credited in that episode. Oh, Office Worker Scott. Yeah. Now everyone's outside the office, and Kyle is here, and he's dressed in the last outfit he bought in 1972. He bought brand new. He did. Uh, Frank calls it groovy. <laughs> Which is uh, not really a compliment when he says it. It actually reminds me of this episode of The Golden Girls when Martin Mull is a shut-in. Martin Mull. Since like the late 60s. Yep. And he's wearing a very similar outfit only with love beads and like a fringe uh, mm-hmm. vest. And you can tell that, that Kyle is lonely. Well, I uh, he says this stuff about... He's, he's, he's being very positive, but you can tell that he's not doing very well. And he keeps saying, he's like, oh yeah, I've been out in the world with my friends and he's gesturing all to all of them and you can tell that as was kind of implied in his exit in the last scene these are his friends he has no one else out there yeah. because he hasn't been a young adult to build a a community in the world his parents could be gone we as don't far as we know yeah we don't know and he says they ask him about jobs and he says should have gotten the computer training program at the prison instead of interpretive dance because hmm. he wasn't First of all, he probably wasn't thinking he was ever going to get out. Mm-hmm. And second of all, th- and this is something I kind of want to talk about, was the um, the transition to the re-entry for prisoners yeah. in our country. Um, this is, obviously, this is something that we see in, in a lighter touch with Kyle, but the idea of getting our, our prisoners rehabilitated and ready for the workforce if they're going back out. Because, for example, this young man has no skills to to be in the real world including the ability to read a room and social skills in general but we we talk about the fact that while it has gone down in increments over the last couple of years the mass incarceration in america is through the roof for the for Mm -hmm. the world and i have a great rolling star article that just came out today there are quotes about you know it's time to it's time for change it will require both altering our sentencing laws and getting rid of things like mandatory minimums which yeah guys mandatory minimums for for pot smoking is in insane for nonviolent crimes which i could go on to that forever but it said as well as making sure that people who are currently incarcerated can be successfully reincorporated back into our society and that's a huge thing because a hu- i'm not even going to try and pretend that i have the right quote um for the number but the percentage of repeat offenders that happen within a very short time of when they leave that they reoffend, and the main reason for that is that they're not set up for success to get back into yeah. a workforce or just into the world in general. That's all they know. Um, there, I'm going to also share on the website. There's a great article now. Granted, it is from 2015, but it's still worth the read about programs that are helping prisoners live again on the outside. Uh, it's from the Huffington Post, and there's a program that is specifically for reformed convicts. Um, who help on the first day that somebody is released pick them up and show them the ropes because they understand best oh that's great and it's there are things like that and if you have the means to look into this or to help fund or to advocate for this it's this is like i said it's a lighter touch in this episode but it's really something to think about if we don't set people up to succeed once they're out of the prison they're just gonna go back or Mm -hmm. worse and I just think that this this episode is is maybe this wasn't the the goal of the episode this particular soapbox, but I think that he is such a a lovable way to get that kind of message out there yeah. because he's doing his darndest. He just 
he he's has a, no skills. Yeah, he's a klutz. He's a sweet little klutz who kind of ruins everything. Well, I, it's really heartbreaking that he can't adjust, you know, and it's, there's, he tries to say goodbye and it's very awkward. Oh my God, his bah, bah, bah. And he's just standing at the elevator and the doors aren't opening and he just keeps turning around mm. and say bah. And everyone feels bad. And then, you know, Murphy says, which is, you know, the crux of the episode is mm. we report stories. It's our job to be objective and uninvolved. It ends there. And Jim agrees, but he wants to help the little fella. Little, little yeah, and, and Murphy feels that it's best that he fends for himself. She has work to do. She has to find a secretary. Mm-hmm. And then Miles has an idea. Cut to. If I can just say real quickly, <laughs> this, this episode is very unique. Mm-hmm. It is not the type of episode that we will ever see again. No, we... Continue and yeah. um, And I think that's a testament to Russ Woody and how mm-hmm. unique of a writer he is. Outside the box, always. Always, which it. is great. But also in some of the in some of the visual elements. Mm-hmm. I don't remember an episode coming up where we literally have that sitcom, I have an idea. And, and then, then the next to idea. <laughs> idea. It reminds me of the the close up on the door. Yep. You know, when and it might be the dart. Yeah, that mm-hmm. Barnett maybe is just playing around. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of interesting to see, oh, this this definitely feels like it's not my favorite Russ Woody episode. Mm-hmm. Some of his episodes are some of my absolute favorites. Yeah, because they're they're standouts. They're you? standout. Mm-hmm. And so this is a standout, but it's interesting to me that it doesn't feel like what we know Murphy Brown to be. No, and we talked about the fact that because it's really focused on the guest star. Yeah. And not we, on her. I mean, Murphy's biggest, one of Murphy's biggest obstacles in this episode is just trying to get her job done. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the kind of the heart and the soul of the piece moving and the arc being for Kyle. Yeah. Not, I mean, they, they, the gang learn things about themselves and Murphy goes back and forth trying to figure out if she's doing the right thing or not because she's just selfishly trying to get her day over with. But the, the actual arc of this episode is in Kyle. Yeah, and I, that's a testament to Leslie Jordan. Oh, he's so wonderful. And, and that's what I think also is just, he is so bright mm-hmm. as a character and an actor that it takes away from the episode. He mm-hmm. just, it's like he's in 3D. Yeah. And the rest of the episode isn't. And that's not one's fault, I it think. It might be his 70s garb. Maybe. <laughs> it's just real psychedelic. Speaking of, he's sitting at the secretary's desk now. And he's in front of a typewriter. And his outfit is quite uh, eye-popping. I wrote down, he's dressed like he just walked off the set of laughing. <laughs> It's so real. Lily Tomlin reference. <laughs> I mean, hey. Yeah, he has this uh, this bright shirt and a contrasting tie. And he is, I wrote this down. The only word that came to me as he's working on this typewriter is he's pecking at it. With the ABC song. He's singing ABC song while he's pecking at his typewriter. And weirdly enough, I know a friend who kind of only, she types very fast, but she only types with like her index finger. I can't. I, I can't. don't know how she does it because I've. I feel like I would have assumed she, you would look like this if you only typed with your mm-hmm. index fingers or something like that. And she types so quickly. And the day that I noticed it, I realized I could never sit on the same side of a computer with her because it throws me off. Oh, yes. It's so... She's very efficient, and I love you if you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> I had to take a typing class in middle school. Oh, yeah. I took typing classes. So I can type with both hands mm-hmm. very quickly. Oh, I always have. My parents uh, got me a... I think because they they knew that the computers were the wave of the future mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and also my mom worked for forty seven years as a professor at a school, and she 
the school required all of these students to have computer access and specifically laptops for the classroom. Fantastic. And so in the, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s, that was to say that. So if people couldn't afford their own, the school gave them a laptop. That's fantastic. So my mom was one of the first people in my community to have a laptop that she brought home, a, a computer for work. And so I would play on my mom's computer because I thought that was so fancy and cool. And so my parents actually got me uh, Reader Rabbit educational documents that helped me uh, oh, yeah. learn how to type and so on when I was a kid. So I've always assumed, and I remember I used to know the difference between a QWERTY keyboard and whatever the other keyboard was. Murphy gets off the elevator. Hot damn, Murphy. Ooh, that outfit. Love Ooh, it so much. That royal blue. And I love the white blue. blouse and the belt. Can we talk about this like purple like blue this, indigo belt? We're literally the same person, Jesse. We're very into this fashion. <laughs> um, the belt is like sort of a royal purpley blue. Oh, it's like I, a lighter indigo. It's like a dark periwinkle light indigo. I just love this. And then the white mm. out shirt. Mm. Just. This is great. Want this yep. outfit. I, I I love it. I, I appreciate that this moment, Kyle has a, it's feel, I feel like he's locked into the Murphy Brown secretary mode because it's, hi, Miss Brown, did you have a nice lunch? The way he yells it out is very much like many of her secretaries we've she seen. She did not have a nice lunch. She didn't. It's funny. Uh, Kyle sent the secretary of state to the wrong restaurant, to Captain Larry's Chicken Roundup. He had to uh, wear a hat was that? Mm-hmm. And a bib, I believe. <laughs> and a bib. Right? Yes. I'm shocked it wasn't the crab shack from before at this really, point. Really, right? You can have a thing. Now, I did some research because I thought, okay, so I want to know who the Secretary of State was at this time. That's my girl. It's interesting depending on how you see it. Yes. Because you could say, well, this episode takes place when it aired, mm-hmm. which is January 16th. But it was written. No, but, it, but the episode before this... Mm-hmm is the inauguration, which is January 20th. No, no, what I'm saying, though, is that it's when it aired Secretary of State or when it was written Secretary of State, right? We have to assume it's when it's aired. I mean, yes. But, so this is supposed to take place after the inauguration. Well, on Inauguration Day, January 20th, James Baker became Secretary of State. Yes. So it has to be James Baker. Yes. But technically, they aired the inauguration episode before the actual inauguration. Yes. So it took me a bit to figure that out. You know, we're just... Yeah, so it's James Baker. (laughs) James Baker was wearing a bib and a hat. Yes, he was. Good on him. She notices his typing, which made me feel not as crazy for noticing that. Oh, it's definitely a thing. And he uh, shared that uh, Big Eddie One Arm taught him how to type. (laughs) So this is the way he does it. And then proceeds to uh, get the ribbon from the typewriter all kinds of tangled. And after this happens, we start seeing the klutz. And Murphy can't find files. She comes back out and is like, where's my ant farm? Well, Kyle wanted them to be able to have a better view, and it was so cloudy on the... His intentions are really good. His intentions were very good, and he was trying to give them a better view through the glass, and and then it broke. It dropped to the ground, and he said, boy, those little things can skedaddle. (laughs) I loved those ants. I loved those ants. What I love about this is that, again, this is another thing that I feel like is not in other episodes, is that the ant is sort of the ant infestation throughout the episode? Yes, it's so subtle. <laughs> it's so it's so you great. You see the person like spraying for it later. Yeah, and then like Jim is just talking to Murphy and he just like hits his arm. Miles kills one, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're just oh, they're poor ants. I I just love it. I love it, but it's just interesting that I was like, I don't think that they do this. 
It's a really subtle, long yeah. joke. And they're trying something. And maybe it just that. didn't work for them or they just decided to do other things. I mean, well, I also like the symbolism of the annoyance of ants and like mm. the way that he is. You're so smart. The thing that like if you're at a picnic bench or picnic, a picnic and you're you're eating and so on and you don't quite realize that one's crawling up your shoulder and right when you're feeling comfortable you have to flick it away and that kind of thing and they're not really a negative thing like unless they're fire ants that are biting you like they're not he loves them exactly like it's they're not a bad thing but they're everywhere and annoying and mm-hmm. getting in your stuff and now you can't eat and like i feel like that's a bit of a maybe a little symbolism for what I kyle be is surprised and then one of my favorite scenes of her character mm-hmm. uh and in the episode of murphy is mm-hmm. in her and miles oh god it's so good so he she says i need a secretary she can't take him anymore he has to, like his idea didn't work and miles <laughs> has this moment of clarity and is just like, okay, we need to talk about this. And so he says, he's, we need to talk about this parade of secretaries you've gone through. It's always their fault. Isn't that right, Murphy? And she goes, yes. And he says that he proceeds to kind of give her some wisdom and then says the golden line of getting along with other people is a reflection of getting along with yourself. And then we become the audience of happy days. Yes. <laughs> and she says, I got your reflection right here, pal. And but like holds up the fist at if him. If no one gets that reference, it's because the audience is like, oh. oh. I love the audience in this episode, by the They're way. They're great. They're so good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she says, I got your reflection right here, pal, and fists in his face. And I wrote, I love you, Murphy. Because <laughs> yes. it's also such a thing of like, you know, this feminine thing. Yeah. Of like, well, you know, you know, maybe you should be nicer. Because maybe it's about you. She's like, I'll give you nice in your and face And she's just right like, now. I don't really care. And then she sits down. And one of my favorite Leslie Jordan moments in this entire episode, he brings out a file for her. And she says, it's the wrong file, Kyle. And he goes, ah, you're a poet and you don't know it. He's so excited. He has the best intentions. And then Jim arrives, and Murphy's struggling with the ribbon. And one of my favorite things Leslie Jones says, uh, he says, Mr. Dial, but because of his accent, I just wrote, Mr. Dial. (laughs) It's just long. It's like molasses. Molasses. And also Jim and... Again, not a fan of brown suits, but Jim can wear a brown Jim suit. Jim wears a brown suit. Also, mm. I wrote down, did Charles Kimbrough get a haircut? <laughs> I maybe. He does look a little different, doesn't he? It's so bad that I'm noticing that. I notice many things about my sweet Jim. <gasps> I know, but I was like, I'm watching this so like, much now. I think he got a haircut. And I know that he may have gotten a haircut. <laughs> and I like that, uh, you know, Kyle goes back in and he's trying to work on stuff. And he comes in and he's like, were those books on your shelf in an order? Or, mm. um, yeah, we see Jim kill an aunt. And... He shares, you know, he is very fond of the little fella. So he's inviting Kyle over for dinner. Frank comes out. He's like, hey, I want to grab a few for a moment. And he says he has tickets to, is, is it a Celtics game? It's a Celtics game, yeah. Celtics game? Bullets and Celtics. Oh, bullets. That's why I couldn't think of it. And Jim has, like, pulled Kyle aside and is like, don't let her bother you. And See, Frank, I love this. No, I love this. That, everyone, that everyone's, yeah. like... Assumes it's, that Murphy is being Murphy. Yeah. And that he's not as big a deal as she's mentioning. No, and she's being Murphy. Yeah. Her, and they've all had to deal with her it. Her bark is worse than her bite. Yes. And they're, they're they're nice people. Yes. But just don't let, you know, Murphy's yeah. being Murphy. And, and she'll get used to it. I mean, that's what they did with Miles, too. You know, like, he could just be another Miles. Because, you know, sweet puppy dog creatures really annoy Murphy. But then she warms to them, you know? I mean, Murphy is sort of the reporter who cried wolf. 
little bit. You know, she everything is exasperating mm-hmm. and and a big deal. And yeah. so, yeah, I, it makes sense that they will go. Oh, she's being Murphy. Well, and also, they, Frank has this line that I was kind of like Frank, where in his apologizing for Murphy, he says she hasn't been the same since the since she got back from the Betty Ford Clinic. And I was like, Frank. I feel like that was sort of a loving thing. It was, but for me, it's a saying it to a stranger. Yeah. Though granted, harmless, a harmless stranger. But I was like, Frank, that's an overshare. But I also <laughs> think that they think that Kyle is so sweet, they're upset with Murphy. Yeah, for exactly. What she's they all doing. think she's being so mean. Yeah. And and at this point, while this is happening, Murphy is also now her own secretary. Yes. Which is one of my favorite bits that Candace has. In she doesn't know what to do. And she's like picking up the phone and trying to put people on hold. And she still thing. has the ribbon on her. And she's trying to get Kyle to go get more ribbon. Kyle, the ribbon. <laughs> then Corky comes in. Of course, she's being sweet to Kyle. And Kyle offers the the basketball tickets to her. And she says, I hate pas- basketball. Tall men frighten me. So not for her. But... She has a great friend named Barbara that she'll set up with him. And I feel like this is what Quirky does when men ask her how she's going to go out with. Yep. You, know, you know what? It's not for I've me. I've got this friend. I've Barbara. got a friend. Poor, I wonder how many dates Barbara's gone on. Oh, no. And she has a line that we have been talking about for a while, which is, don't let Murphy make you crazy. She gets this way around the 18th of every month. Mark that day on your calendar. We all have. Yes. Again, another very ballsy and much appreciated woman joke. Yes. And so I appreciate it more coming from Corky than I do yes. coming from Miles. Except and I know it's a diff- woman. Yes. And I know it's different than a tampon joke. Although I have to say, mm-hmm. talking to Corby mm-hmm. um, and, and knowing what was behind it, that yes. it's to de- these jokes, I'm uh, going to the tampon joke that I said I didn't like, mm-hmm. is about demystifying um, your period. Yes. I now like the jokes. Oh, I love them. And now. I am okay yep. with them. So this you might think would be under that umbrella, but it's different to me because it's not Miles, it's Corky is saying it. So having that kind of joke come from another woman takes away the stigma. It's I remember somebody teaching me about whether or not you you are a fan of of cursing, there is something to be said about taking the power back from an offensive term Mm -hmm. and finding the way to say, oh, if I say it, now you're uncomfortable. If you use it as a slander or a slur, that that makes you feel powerful. But if I take away its effect on me and I make it so that it's my joke now, you don't like it so much anymore, do you? It, and there's something that I love about using this joke in a woman's mouth. I agree. Yeah. So um, Also we ca- because Corky's getting so salty in this episode, and I love it. Yes. Uh, I feel like Murphy's rubbing off on Corky a little bit. Yes, and I love it. So we cut to... Murphy, uh, it fills mm-hmm. with a large word processor. Oh my gosh, it's huge. I had something similar. Um, but yes, it is a huge, I wrote so big. It's so big. Frank comes in, you know, why is Murphy working in the office? Geo under why. <laughs> Kyle's getting to Frank. Um, uh, Kyle accidentally stapled Frank's mail to his tie for the fourth time. Hmm. Then uh, Jim, Corky, and Miles all rush in. They're all escaping from Kyle. Frank comments that they, are, they already had lunch. You know, like, why are they there? They're all trying to be nice about Kyle. And then Jim. Jim. Diplomatic Jim. Just salt of the earth Jim. Because <laughs> are you kidding? The guy's a loser. The guy's a loser. I was even like, Jim. I know. I was like, oh. A loser? No one's a loser. Oh, man. If Jim says it. and Well, because he says. You want to do it? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, so he shares that. And basically, they're all saying, like, they all did this one thing for him that they had set up in the last scene. Mm-hmm. And then he takes it so far. So he came over for dinner with. Doris and Jim 
And now he shows up every night for dinner. He said last night he danced for us. Doris tried to kill him with a dustbuster. <laughs> I love Doris so much. I love her so much. And it's it's because I, I am, of course, now picturing Janet Carroll. Yes. Who is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. But of course, before this, she wasn't kept. No one knew what Doris looked like. No. She could have been like... Um, Pickles, uh, yes. the wife from Dick Van Dyke yes. Show, or um, Norm's wife, where we never met exactly. them. And but I'm so glad we met her. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So yes, Doris tried to kill him with a dustbuster. Mm-hmm. Phil joins in. Phil really hates him, and he goes. He's thinking of putting in a real high doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a By the joke. way, speaking of of Leslie Jordan's height, yes. Do you know that? Technically, in the United States, 411 is considered a disability, and you can get money yes. from the government. Yes. That blew my mind. I know some really short people. I found this out years ago, mm-hmm. but I always think of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth is also 411. Yes. Yes. Anyway, back to the story. Murphy says that she's not the type to say she told you so, but... and Frank says it just like a like a brother. He's like, Dad, no, that's, that's you. That's yeah. all you do. And then Murphy reminds them that she told them that there needs to be objectivity in journalism. They've gotten too close. And Frank says that they need her to fire him. But Jim is concerned that Kyle knows where he lives. It has to be Murphy because Kyle knows where Jim lives. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And, and Murphy says no. Like, she really thinks that he's beginning to sort of catch on. And Miles says, do we have to grovel? And Murphy has the biggest smile oh. on their face. And they all grovel oh, it's so good she goes, okay i'll fire him you bunch of wusses <laughs> uh then kyle enters no close the door i wrote that too in all caps i was like there is it because he's so tiny they can't tell or is we'll this when see. we start losing close the door i told you i felt like we lost it like i don't remember being part of I the love whole that season now you're trying to i told you so after you've mm-hmm. spent 10 episodes being like i had no idea now you're like see i told you <laughs> i am murphy and then murphy you know is uh Oh, Jim goes, he found us. He found us. Uh, so Kyle clears the place. Yep. Everyone makes excuses to leave. You think that, you know, Murphy is about to fire mm-hmm. Kyle. And then this sort of good old boy shows up and uh, says that he, he knows her. He recognizes her. She's on moonlighting. Mm. Well, the thing is, he says her name. Oh, that's right. He does call her Murphy Brown. Yeah. And then says that she's on Moonlighting. Because he, she, he's like, I see you on the TV all the time. And she's like, yeah, FYI. And then he says, for Moonlighting. Yeah. And this is interesting because it reminds me of a story. So this is playing actually on the fact mm-hmm. that many, many people confuse Candace Bergen and Sybil Shepherd. Yes. It pisses me off. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of that. No, me neither. Because they're very distinct. Yes. They're blonde. Mm-hmm. They both used to be models. Both altos. Very distinct. And I watched Moonlighting through all the gauze. I love that he says always always nagging that guy with the funny hair, which but, is a good way to sum up Moonlighting. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Bruce Willis. So I actually once witnessed this happen, and I could oh. do nothing about it. And it's another great example of, yes, he got her name right, but mm-hmm. not the other stuff. Yep. So I went to see Grant Shaw in a play called After Ashley with mm-hmm. Anna Penquin. There was two guys in front of me, and they're looking at the, you know, the program mm-hmm. before the show started, and they start talking to each other. Oh, yeah, Grant Shaw, he, he was in that show Murphy Brown. And the guy's like, oh, I don't know that show. Oh, you know, with Candace Bergen, she was in the last picture show. Mm-mm. And then proceeds to name... Civil Shepherd's entire resume. And I just literally sitting right between them, behind them, wanting to be like, no, no. it's wrong. 
so it happens a lot. It does. So I kind of love the fact that they are playing on that, that that's a thing. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good um, joke. I also appreciate that this episode has a lot of Southern accents. For, for a DC well, based listen, show, DC is close to Virginia, but which think is close about to the south, which is the south. Think about like the good old boy in the bar who swans over, talking about, "Hey, I know you. You're the nagging lady with the like." It's so like we we have Leslie Jordan, which granted could have been there because of the um, the jurisdiction as far as the bank robbery and so on. Mm-hmm. But we have Faith Ford doing the the lovely Louisiana accent, and then we have this guy who sounds very southern, and then we have Leslie Jordan yelling at him, and it's just there's so much southern in this episode. <laughs> Well, and Kyle starts defending her as well, which is just, I love it. He says, she taught me to believe in myself. And he starts listing her problems. He's like, you know, she's mean. She's a drunkard. She can't get a date to save her life. Murphy Brown is a saint, I tell you. She's a saint. saint. She's a saint, I tell you. She's a saint. And I love the terrible, terrible line reading. Oh, my God, Lauren. But the, the big guy just goes, I'm real sorry. I feel like a weenie. (laughs) <laughs> I also love that, that Murphy's like, I'll take care of this. And, 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 and she, he's like, pretty uppity for a co-star. Yes. Yeah, pretty uppity for a co-star. But I love it because you just see you see the sweetness that is Kyle. Yeah. And he loves her so much. And just him saying, she taught me to believe in myself. And for the first time, I finally do. And he's like, mm, and he's so tiny compared to this guy. So now she can't fire him now she can't fire him yeah. so we cut to fyi again and murphy is just like spelunking through the the classifieds for a job for this guy and everyone else is now looking as well corky brings up an air traffic control option and everyone <laughs> looks at her she's like she's like well i'm doing my best miles is reading dear abby <laughs> and jim enters looking quite sad um he has his he doesn't have a suit jacket on. We just see him in his mm-hmm. white shirt. And there's a giant clear ink stain in well, the pocket. Actually, I believe that there are subtle, beautiful lines on it. Well, you know, the shirt is from Milan. Yes. This scene made me go, this is the gym we know. This is Jim. This is Jim. Just and, reserved enough, but still a little fun. And he's got, he has such tragedy in his life. Mm-hmm. And he says, they, they ask what happened. He says, Kyle gave me a pen. And you see this giant blue ink blot, and he says, "It's from Milan. They measured me right down to the quarter inch difference of circumference between my left and my right wrist." And he's touching them. And he just goes, "I don't want him here anymore. I just don't want him." It's and just, just turns away in sadness. It's one of my favorite sections of the whole thing. Oh, it's like, oh, it's such great he's tragedy. He's broken, Jim. He's broke. He broke, Jim. I just wanted to see him like just put the hat back on, <laughs> just like his life is over. So Murphy's like, "Come on!" and then finds um, an ad for telephone sales. No experience necessary. How could he screw that up? He has no experience. I can prove that. And she says, I'll call and give him a recommendation just in case. And she starts heading over to make the call. And then Miles is concerned that they're and that they're playing God with a man's life. Um, now, just for reference, she said she needed to get this figured out for him before he got back from the Xerox machine, which is where Kyle has been. Mm-hmm. So as Miles is saying that he's concerned that they're playing God with a man's life, the Xerox machine rolls by on a cart with two men still on fire. And Miles makes that crumpled Grant Shod face. And they all kind of follow it. They all just they? follow the, the... It's a really great visual oh, gag. Oh, it's great. Just this fiery Xerox machine and just goes, call! And that's when we see later at the elevator that someone is spraying for ants. <laughs> So we, we've cut a little bit ahead. It's not a full mm-hmm. the next day kind of cut. But we're at the elevator. We see them spraying for ants. And the door's open. And Murphy's in this mauve shirt, mm. gray pants. The, he's got this great, like, scarfy, drapey top thing. I love it so, I love it much. so much. Except I wrote down, looks good on blondes. 
I would look terrible in it. It's not a blonde thing. It's a skin tone okay. thing. I'm all right, telling all right, you. Okay, okay. I'm going to put you in that top. Okay. Uh, and what? this is when I fell madly in love with this audience. So Kyle comes in behind her, and he's in a just expensive designer suit. His hair is parted and put and put back. He He looks so good. And the audience breaks the wall in the best way possible throughout the rest of this episode and cheers for him. It's Fonzie! Like, it's... They... When and later, with spoiler, later when he gets a job, mm-hmm. they genuinely are cheering yeah. for him. It's not a like we're just laughing at the joke that just happened. This audience was so invested, and with what Leslie Jordan did, that when he walks out in that suit, they're cheering for how great he looks, and it's so heartwarming. And I swear you can see it on their faces too. Like this, it's lovely. This episode would not work with any other actor. No, no, it would he, not work. His ability to to ground it in the sweetness and the sincerity, and yet still be this over the top ridiculous person. It's it's a testament you to his care. career. It's yeah. this is why he has the mm-hmm. career he has. So Murphy looks is looking very proud of the work that she's done. It's mm-hmm. a, it's you know like the reverse. She's you so know, proud. The reverse you know uh, my fair lady makeover moment. Frank tells him you're on fire, and <laughs> he's like, oh look at you, you're on fire. And Kyle's like again, and starts looking around. <laughs> Because again, he's like uh, Rose Nyland. Yes, it's so good. And everyone is giving him these like words, these pearls of wisdom. And uh, Corky says she believes he'll have a bright and promising career ahead of him in the exciting world of telephone sales. <laughs> and he says he's like, it's not right of me to abandon you. And Murphy says, yes, it is, Kyle. And though we'll all miss you here. And he says, you guys are the greatest. You just give and give and give and. She says this really lovely bit of advice, which I think everyone needs to hear. She says, you are a valuable human being and an asset to any organization. And he goes, valuable human being, an asset. And it's just, it's so like, everyone, stitch this on a pillow. Yeah. It's so, I will make you a meme and post it on the Instagram. And I don't think that they're lying. No. They do believe that. Just not there. Just not there. (laughs) Now, before we fade out into the next scene. Oh, but I, I need to talk about Jim. Oh, Sorry. Um, Jim also comes in and, and gives him a piece of advice that um, he, he should always have an anecdote ready in which Kyle says, oh, I can tell him about the time my cellmates tried to drown me in the toilet bowl. Maybe don't start off with that. Maybe one. don't start off with that. one. That's the thing that's so sad and sweet about Kyle is that because he was so young when he went to jail. He doesn't know any he, better. These are the only experiences he has. Yeah, this is his life experience is the jail. Mm-hmm. So we fade out and I... I can't prove this, but I think that they cut the end of the scene, probably for time. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, because it does fade out mid conversation. It's weird, and and again, but then again, this episode has a lot of different sort of yep, visual exactly. things that they're trying. Yes. But the reason I think this is because on the DVD, one of the pause pictures. Mm-hmm is from this episode. Oh, it is. And it's Kyle falling backwards into the elevator. There's a group of people behind it. And Stephen Peterman is in the elevator. Yes. Yes. I know that Peterman, the writer, guys, is in the elevator. I was going to say, Stephen Peterman, the writer, guys. Just in case. I said the writer, (laughs) comma, guys. I know, but that's what I'm going to call him now. (laughs) Stephen Peterman, the writer, guy. I get concerned sometimes that people aren't listening to all the episodes. That's fair. (laughs) And then I'm going to reference things and people are going to be totally... um, and it, because of the way that Leslie is falling backwards, I don't think it's a, like a scene from behind the scenes or no. anything like that. And Steve Stephen does show up later on yes. as an extra, mm-hmm. as well as a speaking line in season yes. two. He was an actor, so that's my that's my guess. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, well spotted. We go into Frank on the phone to Doris. Oh. In no word, 
Doris, keep your fingers crossed and be strong. <laughs> they're all like acting like they're in a delivery room. Like, they're acting of, like someone's dying. Well, no, they're they're acting like they're in a hospital waiting room. Yes, yes, waiting for the the good or the bad news. That's totally, what this is based on. Oh my totally. god, it's such a it's so great. Just turning like the trope on yeah. its head. They're all sitting. They're they're all around sort of the coffee area and the table. And Murphy is convinced that he won't get it. That he's going to kill her in her own office. And then Corky says, and then some idiot journalist will get him off. She's so mad. <laughs> She's so salty in this episode. She it's really is. Best. She says it with such disdain, like some idiot journalist will get him off. She's also salty when she's trying to get to the, the ball. I just appreciate that I feel like I didn't give, and we've talked about this, I didn't give Corky the credit. Did not, no. For years until I've been able to go back and really watch this, and I just have so much more love for her. And you see so much more of the character that they that she grew into mm-hmm. and you see that she always had these qualities the, the, she's just young and she's figuring them out as she goes but she she's always been salty she's always been smarter than they give her credit for she's always been a fashionista no this is the biggest surprise on the rewatch mm-hmm. honestly is i see corky completely differently now yep uh he shows up kyle and uh, he didn't get the job and then everyone just sort of collapses in one motion into the chairs, except for Jim. It's so great. And Jim is just like, this is going to kill Doris. <laughs> That's my favorite. This is going to kill And then there's Doris. this great little thing. And I've seen Leslie do this on other shows before, but it's still like such a small little detail is like, he knocks his, himself against the side of the yes. desk. Mm-hmm. Like That's a thing he does. He does that a lot, yeah. But I, I do love it because it is great body language and it's very specific mm-hmm. to how his character is feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he says that, you know, someone who dressed the way he does is overqualified, mm-hmm. I, I love and I wish that we had more mm-hmm. of like a, a, a close up on Murphy. Mm-hmm. But Frank just uh, like hits her in the arm. Yeah, and like she's it's her fault. Yeah. And she's like, and, and also Joe Ragabuto has his hand over he's his face. He's straight up trying not to laugh. He has to be. He's straight up trying not to laugh. It's so you can just see because in another shot, he's still kind of covered and yeah. looking total hand over his face I was like there's no reason for his character to be doing that unless no, he's no, 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 about no. to break yeah and then and it but it does make the moment when he sort of you know hits murphy mm-hmm. a little bit of a, like more brotherly sort of mm-hmm. like thing between the two of them i love the fact that the whole time um miles's head is just down on the, the table mm-hmm. at one point uh in the speech that kyle is giving mm-hmm. miles just sort of gets up and goes over the coffee machine. Well, I'm pretty sure it but, seems like he gets up in terror when he says that he'll be driving a truck. Yes, totally. Like he's he's terrified the idea of being out on the streets. <laughs> and I meant to say copy machine, not coffee machine. I don't know why I said that. He pretty much says that he got himself a job as a water cooler guy, which is when the audience applauds. They go crazy for him. Yeah. It's so good. And and he and he's like, you know, I, I hate to leave you guys. You know, I, I have to start now. And they're like, start, start. Like, don't give it up. Yeah. He's like, the giving just never stops around yeah. here. He always thinks that they're pushing him away as this love. He just believes he, ex- he assumes the best in them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he says goodbye and they usher him out and... He gets in the elevator. Oh, no, wait. I, we have to talk about the fact that his oh. choice, he tenderly holds each person's hand mm. individually for a single ba. One time. Ba. Next one. Ba. Yeah, because it like, comes back later. Oh, it's so precious. <laughs> and then he gets in the elevator and forgets to hit the button. Yeah, which I, I wonder was him or in the in the script. He's just like, oh, and then yeah. as it goes, he goes, ba ba. <laughs> And then the entire, you know, office just, like, jumps for joy. Literally jumps for joy. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so after that, we're in Murphy's townhouse, and she bursts into the into the uh, what am I trying to say? Into her living room, with in just like completely like she has won the day. She is victory. She hasn't put her arms in her coat sleeves. They're just like it's draped like a cape over her. She's like elder my man. The boss is home, and she's on top of the world, and. She announces that she has brownies, ice cream, and a copy of The Producers. If you promise not to talk during springtime for Hitler, you can stay. Sweets and Mel Brooks. I am Murphy Brown. I straight up, I was like, that is my best night ever. I was like, I have done that night so many times. And I have said, if you talk during these sections, you can't stay. Mm-mm. Uh, Eldon is not going to stay and hang out with her because he is going um, out with Nikki and Maurice to a wet t-shirt night. And um, he asks if she wants to go. And her response is, in another life. <laughs> Also need to make note that I love that lamp behind her, the green and copper. The lamp. Tiffany one or a new no, one? No, no, there's a like a actual like small lamp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything the greens mm-hmm. and the browns are so well put together. I mean, it's definitely right up my aesthetic alley yeah. in that regard. Mm-hmm. And as they're talking about it, uh, we hear a crashing sound from inside the kitchen. She asks what it is, and Eldon shares that the uh, water delivery guy has been there for about 20 minutes, and not counting the half hour that he spent trying to help him get his tie out of the cassette player in the truck. And yep, it's Kyle. Uh, We don't see him, but we do hear him say, hey, Mr. Painter, do you know where they keep the mop? And Murphy grabs her shoes and just takes off as if she'll meet him in the car. But I also love the fact that when he, he, Eldon asks her if she wants to come to the wet Mm t-shirt concert, and she goes in another life. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that Murphy wants to do. No, she's just getting out of there. And I don't know if you noticed, but as the... Yes, I did. As it fades out, we get a bumper of, bah. (laughs) They knew what they had in this episode. They knew that he was just a standpoint. When that happened, I was like, it's like they were on our podcast and trying to find a bumper for the end. I was just like... Bah. And again, they're, they don't ever do that really again, as nope. far as I can remember. So, you know, this is yep. a very different episode. Yep. And speaking of very different people, since we wanted to highlight what great casting, and there's great casting for the entire series. Mm-hmm. So the casting director uh, for the first four seasons was Andrea Cohen. Mm-hmm. She had done Hill Street Blues. She was a casting coordinator. She was a casting associate on New Heart. She went on to do Love and War. And she received six Outro Award nominations, which is the Casting Director Award. And she won twice in 1989 and 1990 for Murphy Brown. And she has some really interesting things. Now, this is from a book that I found called The Actors Encyclopedia of Casting Directors. It's technically from 1999. It has been updated. Hmm. I don't think this interview has been updated. Mm. So I don't recommend the book to people who are looking to find out about casting directors for the now, okay, if I may say. But she does have some interesting things to say about Murphy Brown, which I thought was great. So she says that deciding on whether to bring someone in for a pre-read, which is just to sort of, you know, see if you like them before actually having them audition. She likes to see people have regional credits. Mm-hmm. Also, if they've had maybe like at least like one sitcom training. But she says something that I thought was really great. She goes, often training alone is not enough. Knowing how to do comedy without pushing is something that has to be intuitive with the actor. It's almost like having a sixth sense. I don't think anyone had to teach the great actors on Murphy Brown or any top sitcom how to be funny. Acting for sitcom is an art that some learn immediately, others eventually, and others never. Mm, so, so accurate. Yeah. And she cast some really amazing people in the first four years. Uh, Love and War is also a really great cast show. Mm-hmm. And um, that particular thing, I think, fits into Leslie Jordan. Absolutely. That's just really seeing the potential of someone and what when they walk in they have it or they don't especially for a guest star because you don't have time for somebody to grow into a role no and you know you have a week 
mm-hmm. to do this. And the script is changing every day. And they're informing the character. And multi-camera is a very different form mm-hmm. of acting. Yes. And also looking at, you know, you look at Leslie Jordan and there's no way that they, this this character and the way he plays him is so quintessentially Leslie Jordan. Mm-hmm. that There's no way that they were asking for these exact specifics in this character. So having an eye for what this actor could bring to elevate a role as well. Yeah, he was so unique that they had to bring him into this role. Yeah, they had to have him. Yeah, and now people say, bring me a Leslie Jordan type. Yep. Or bring me Leslie Jordan. Bring me Leslie Jordan for my birthday in March. Thank you, everyone. And done. And done. So why are you not following us on social media? I hope that you are. Please. It would be lovely if you did. And And if you do, but you feel like a friend would enjoy it as well, please tell them about it. Yeah. In fact, that's what you should do. Tell at least one person about the podcast, Mm -hmm. and then we will double our audience. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Imagine. So on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are Murphy Brown Pod. And our website is murphyroundpod.com, where you can get um, information on back episodes. We Mm -hmm. have show notes under each episode, little Mm -hmm. extras you can read about. Sometimes a picture, maybe. Mm-hmm. You can also have a link to our Spotify playlist, Murphy Brown Empowerment Playlist. Mm-hmm. Have a dance party. Yes. It's great music from and inspired by Murphy Brown. Ooh, and on our we- website, under those show notes, you may see something that we didn't quite address uh, a couple episodes ago, which was that when we talked about in, during And So He Goes, we mentioned that Frank makes a joke about how the people from the Daily Planet aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, our very first episode at the offices of Antenna TV was in the Daily News building, a.k.a. the Daily Planet. I know. I completely forgot about that. And I was like, wait a second. We were in the Daily Planet. So I posted a picture that we took while there, but we wanted to stay professional and ask someone to take a picture of us while we were there. So just imagine that our pretty faces are also in front of that globe. Yes, we didn't. (laughs) Although I've never been a fan of myself in pictures. I always took postcard pictures on vacation. I didn't put myself in pictures. I'm just really bad at posing in a classy fashion, I tend to make a stupid face. Yeah. Too many headshot photo shoots. Anywho, um, we would also love to hear how Murphy Brown has impacted you. And you can do that in two different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You... We would love if you could send us a voice message. It can either be a voicemail, one to two minutes, or it can be a voice memo, one to two minutes. We just don't want to have to cut around so mm-hmm. so we can make it fit. If you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 646-450-6902. And you don't have to leave your name if you don't want to, or you can. It's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. And if you want to record a voice memo on your phone or on your, uh, your recording device and email that to us, the email is murphybrownpod at gmail.com. So we will see you next week uh, with Off the Job Experience, mm-hmm. although we're working on some cool interviews. Yes. So we might actually have an interview next week, which will be exciting. Yes. Or we've already had the interview. Oh, we're so good <laughs> at this. We don't even know what we're doing. We don't. Yes. But the next official Murphy Brown episode will be season one, episode 11, Off the Job Experience. And we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Bye.